0: This is the Sports and Entertainment Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry bringing you education, information, and inspiration only on market scale. It's not as
1: traditional or pigeonholed as you might have seen. You're seeing a real diversification across genres and across platforms.
0: Building your brand is not around your product, so your team and your players, but you build your brand around truly this experience and this community and the team on a greater scale, you know, the team of the past 30 years.
1: We aren't in the baseball business. We are in the entertainment business, the experience business, and most important, people business
2: the game's about to start let's make some noise all right all right hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the market scale sports and entertainment podcast i'm your host tyler kern Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode. We have a lot of great stuff coming up on the show today. The first feature of the day is going to be an interview that I conducted with Alan Reed. He's the director of stadium grounds for Toyota Stadium. We're going to talk about how he keeps the field in such good shape in the midst of a soccer team playing there, high school football, college football, bowl games, concerts, other events. How does he keep the grass looking so good? And what are some of the tips and tricks that he has for keeping that field looking so great? So that's going to be the first feature of the day. Second one is going to be an interview that our correspondent, Scott Sidway, conducted with Jonathan Angers of Engage Esports. We're going to talk a little bit about that world of esports, learn why it's growing so much, and then also dive into the intersection of the music world with esports. So musicians are getting increasingly involved with esports, and we're going to look more into that in depth. That's going to be Scott Sidway coming up in the second feature with Jonathan Angers of Engage Esports. But right now, we're going to start the show the way I start every show, telling you what I learned this week in the world of sports. December 12, 2002 might not be a date that stands out to too many of you, and it really shouldn't for any particular reason. Uh, but I'm going to give you a reason why December 12, 2002 is actually a pretty momentous day. That was actually the day that LeBron James made his debut on ESPN as a high schooler playing for his high school team, St. Vincent St. Mary High School there in Akron, Ohio. He dropped 31 points on his ESPN debut, but it's what he's done since then that I think is, uh, is so amazing that really stands out to me. You know, I, I think everyone anticipated that he would be good. There was a reason they were showing his game on ESPN. But there have been other players heralded as the next Michael Jordan. And even since LeBron James has been in the league, the next big thing, you know, high school players that everyone says, oh, this guy is going to make it huge and be just and the next amazing player. But what LeBron James has done since then has really validated that attention that he was given back in high school. Coming into the season, he'd made $234 million in his 15 seasons in the NBA. Last year, he earned a total of $85.3 million, with $52 million of that coming from endorsements. He obviously has a lifetime deal with Nike that pays over 30 million dollars a year and uh, as of the recording of this podcast he scored 31,803 points grabbed over 8,600 boards and tossed just shy of 8,400 assists and he's won three championships so how often does a guy actually live up to the hype That he's given in high school. And how often does he end up being a better guy than maybe you would have anticipated him being? LeBron James never been in any legal type of trouble. Uh, You never hear anything negative about him necessarily. He even opened up a school for kids, uh, underprivileged kids, there in Ohio, uh, and has all around just been a great role model. But I wonder if we could go back to that night and you could tell us that this is who he was going to be eventually in his career. Uh, What we would have thought of that? Was he. Does all of that live up to the hype he received in high school or has he exceeded it? Has he fallen short of it? I just wonder what people think about that. But this week I learned that he had made his NBA that he made his ESPN debut 16 years ago this past Wednesday. Really, really fascinating to me just to look back on the career of LeBron James. He's obviously 33 years old now playing for the Lakers just in a different season of his life. Uh, but it's amazing just to see how far he's come uh, just in that time that he's been in the league and to really get to watch the career of one of the greatest that's ever played in the NBA. I know some people are not going to be massive fans of LeBron because of the decision and because of, you know, going to different teams and that sort of thing. But I think what he's been able to accomplish throughout his career, actually living up, in my opinion, living up to the hype that he was given in high school and uh, since that time making that debut on ESPN, uh, I, I think is r- really an incredible feat And you think about it, where would ESPN be these days without LeBron James and having uh, ridiculous screaming heads like Skip Bayless over the years or or others uh, yelling about LeBron James and making terrible sports points? Where would ESPN be without guys like that? So thank you to LeBron. Thank you for those 16 years on ESPN and for all the entertaining moments. Hopefully we have many, many more in the future. All right, coming up next is my conversation with Alan Reed. He is the director of stadium grounds for Toyota Stadium. We're going to talk about how he keeps that field in such good shape despite all the other events that go on on a weekly basis. So stick around for that. That's coming up next on the Market Scale Sports and Entertainment Podcast. All right. Joining me now on the market scale sports and entertainment podcast is Alan Reed. He's the director of stadium grounds at Toyota stadium in Frisco, Texas. Alan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, man.
3: You bet. Thanks for having me.
2: Absolutely. So you manage the grounds there at Toyota stadium. What does that entail on a day-to-day basis? What's your schedule look like?
3: So, uh, with our schedule, we're, we're actually pretty busy all year round. Uh, we're we're a little bit slow right now. Uh we're we're getting ready for a couple of football games, college football games coming up, but on a on a day to day basis, uh throughout the year, uh we we're pretty much one of the first ones to, to arrive and sometimes one of the last ones to leave. Uh we s we start morning off. Uh we're me and my staff we're we're basically in charge of the stadium field and then the first team's training field, the field one, uh, out on the complex. So we come in. We start our mornings off uh, during season with just uh, making sure the the training field's ready to go for any any training we have, maybe that day or whatever. And uh, just depending on the the event load and the, the stadium, that'll that'll uh, determine what we're what we're doing in there.
2: How was the field conditioned to be able to take so much rain? And then uh, still have players play on it, you know, an hour later.
3: Yeah. So, uh, and a lot of guys, a lot of people don't know uh, those fields are built on 12 inches of sand, and they're built on 12 inches of sand, so it can take that rain, and and you can play on it, uh, basically immediately after. And if it's the rain event you're talking about, I think we ended up getting like two inches in about an hour and a half or two hours, and and that's quite a bit of rainfall. And it's not just not just the rainfall from the rain I mean it's it's not just the rain hitting the field everything that collects in that stadium flows down to the field and is either drained through the profile or or drained through the perimeter uh, drains that we have on the field so there's actually a lot quite a bit of water that that goes down to the actual field level that 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 has to get drained down and and get out of there And, and because we're below ground level we have three pumps uh, inside our inside the tunnel uh field level there that pump all the water out of the stadium back up to uh our retention pond and it's uh, all that water is then reused for irrigation water but to get back to the to to the way a field's built field, uh they they're built on twelve twelve inches of sand so it does drain but it's our job. As a turf manager, and, and to uh, when you have events, all that foot traffic compacts that sand. And so, what you want to do after an event, we have pieces of equipment that we can go in there and aerate and loosen up that soil profile to allow that water to drain. And what makes up a good uh, profile is you have 50% sand particles. You have 25% airspace. And ideally, you would like twenty five percent moisture, so you can get that twenty five percent moisture in that sand well that gives that gives the the grass enough moisture to survive and We've got several different meters that we can test the field with, whether it's a moisture meter or a compaction meter and we know when 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 we're testing moisture, if we're right around that twenty five percent you know, we're we're not compacted, so we should be draining. You know, if we were to, to test the field, say we tested the field after two football games and we just ran the irrigation, we tested it and we're sitting at 40% moisture. Well, we know some areas are compacted, so it's our job then to come in there and, and decompact that soil and allow that water to drain through that sand profile. So we're constantly uh, testing that and we, we try to keep the field consistent throughout the year. Uh, there's very few times where you know we're, we're holding that mu- that much moisture. Uh, even even on some of those rainings like that, we were you know the 25 to 30 percent you know moisture range, and so I, we we know we're draining and we're able to play. Uh, a match after a
2: heavy downpour like that that's that's just absolutely wild to me and uh, <laughs> then not, not only are you guys battling uh weather and different sporting events and concerts and other events out at toyota stadium but now also with the construction of the new national soccer hall of fame there on the south end there's a canopy over uh the seats on that end of the stadium but that now covers part of the south end of the field so you guys are using led grow lights uh in the evenings am i right about that
3: Yes, yeah they're they're not exactly LED uh but they are an, it's an artificial uh light unit uh it's uh it's got uh 60 uh one thousand watt bulbs and what that does that can supplement uh the sunlight that the plant uh is losing and and it goes back to the uh the 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 grass gets its energy from the sun which allows it to To produce photosynthesis and survive and when you take that sunlight away if any damage occurs to that grass plant it will not recover and it will just eventually just die off Uh, one of the things we're struggling with right now uh, so the shade canopy luckily the shade canopy doesn't cover any of the grass so we're still getting our our, our rain it's just blocking the sunlight right now and that's gonna occur basically from about September first to about April first that south uh six yard box uh actually probably right now it's about uh basically to about the fifteen yard line of the football field, so just outside the eighteen uh We'll keep losing sunlight for another, what's the day, the 12th, another 10 days. So it'll reach out, it'll probably get out to about the 20 yard line-ish of the football field. And it'll start coming back at that point. Uh, so what we're doing, we've got one light unit we were we were using uh, on a demo and, and trial and, and testing in certain areas down there. And where the light unit has been sitting, it's, it's in really good shape. Uh, it's it's a helped us get our ryegrass up for this winter time. Uh, get us get us ready for these uh, couple of bowl games we have coming up, and so that's that's presenting another challenge to us. Uh, one bit of good news is that three more light units got put on a truck today and should be here Friday, and so now we will have enough to cover uh the width of the soccer field on that south end so we'll actually have four units uh, we'll be using uh starting here pretty soon so that is the good news on that um because you can tell a you, you can tell a, a big difference uh and where that one light unit was sitting and so we'll utilize that uh all the way through through april or april middle of april probably um so uh, a lot of uh, – pretty much any of the soccer clubs in Europe are using it. Uh, this this is where these light units come from. Um, I know there's several – not several. There's there's maybe a handful of NFL teams that are using them. Uh, several other MLS clubs are using them. I know uh, Galaxy has some. Orlando's got some. Red Bulls have some. Minnesota's just gotten some with their uh, – their new stadium, I believe sporting is getting some. So you're, you're starting to see a trend. You know, these shade canopies aren't going away on these stadiums. And they, they look absolutely great. Ours looks ours looks beautiful. You know, it, it really added a lot to that south end. But it creates problems on, on the field side of things. And, and and you see that around the league. But it's it starting to get to a point where uh, people are addressing it. The way it needs to be addressed and because and, it, it comes down to a player safety issue you know if you if you don't have good rooting in, in those areas that are shaded and, and you know you, you have a guy go down on injury I mean
2: yeah that that's that's something I was going to bring up is, is just that, that you know it's it's not just about making fields look nice and it's not just about uh you know having them drain and being able to play after rain and stuff like that this is also a player safety issue and Oscar Perea called you you know one of the best at what you do and, and so I, I think that's a huge testament to to the job that you guys do there at Toyota Stadium just managing such a facility and also just ensuring that players don't get injured and so I'm curious just what what sets you guys apart what do you guys do differently than other people
3: well, I don't know how, how much different we are than other guys around the league, but I mean, we we uh, pride on ourselves on on keeping a consistent playing field all year round, and and we we've been given the tools to to achieve that. Uh, you know, whether it's a, a new piece of equipment, new piece of testing equipment, you know, and, I, and I've got a great assistant and, and Adam, and and we've got a great crew. There's there's four of us, uh, and we're constantly testing uh field compaction and 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 other things and so we're able to keep the training field very close and similar to the way it the way the stadium plays you know no matter what event we had i mean we can always go in there and get back to the numbers that that uh that we want to be at and and it, it goes back to uh several years ago when when some of the players were were uh Complaining of of some some soreness and some tightness in, in their legs, and this is right when we've got some of this new testing equipment. And I got with the trainer, scholar, and we're and talking about it. And they're like, "Yeah, man, we the guys think the field's hard, this and that." And and, and we'd been doing some stuff up the field, and and without testing it, you know, we're like, "Well, you know, we we think it's pretty good or whatever." But we we got our testing equipment in there, and and ran some tests on it, and, and sure enough, it, it was hard, you know, according to the readings. And so we were able to come in and, and soften the field up, and, and the guys got back out there and trained, and and uh, the the soreness or fatigue or, or, or tightness in their in their lower legs kind of went away. And so we started uh, recording numbers and, and working closely with, with Skylar and kind of figured out a, a an area of Where the players liked it where you know, they weren't Getting fatigued on the field because they were it was too hard or or too soft or so uh, I'm hoping that's you know kind of helping prevent injuries, you know We there's nothing scientific on what number you need to be at or or anything like that just yet, but we kind of have a standard that, that we like to work in and and once we're in that range, uh, I mean, injuries can happen at any point. But anything we can do to, to prevent it and, and just prevent any little bit of fatigue to where these guys—I mean, these guys play a long season. You know, uh, injuries are going to happen, but you don't—you don't want these guys' legs to, you know, get tired and give out on them throughout that long season. So, anything we can do to to keep it consistent and, and safe, you know, what we think it, you know, where where we want to be and and it's what seems like where the where the guys like to feel the to how they want to feel. Uh, it's just you know we have the tools to to test that and and be able to keep it consistent.
2: Sure, sure. Well, we've had Skyler on the podcast and now we have Alan Reed, the director of stadium grounds at Toyota Stadium in Frisco, Texas. He's got the best lawn in his entire neighborhood. You'd have to guess. Uh, Alan, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, man.
3: You yeah, bet, absolutely, my pleasure.
2: All right, thanks again to Alan Reed for joining me on the Market Scale Sports and Entertainment podcast. Coming up next, Sam Kingma is going to bring us our Market Scale Sports and Entertainment News Minutes. He's got two stories from the world of the NFL. So, Sam, take it away.
0: are your sports and entertainment news minutes brought to you by MarketScale. Records were broken two weeks ago as the New Orleans Saints versus the Dallas Cowboys pulled in the best ratings in Thursday Night Football history. The Cowboys, who beat the Saints in a close 13-10 victory, drew Fox a 14.6 overnight rating. This is really paying off for Fox who bid over $660 million per year for the right to air Thursday Night Football on their network. Over the years Thursday Night Football has received plenty a criticism from football commentators and fans for a serious lack of interesting matches but with games as close as this one they might just not be saying that anymore And that's not all the football news we have today. Turns out the NFL is looking to get into the betting business. League officials were in the process of securing a national casino sponsor, according to Daniel Kaplan of the Sports Business Journal. Sports betting has had a serious legal uptick since the Supreme Court overturned the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, which prohibited all but one state, that being Nevada, of course, from allowing betting on sporting events. Currently, the other three big sports leagues, MLB, NBA, and NHL, all have national deals with the gaming company MGM so it was only a matter of time for the NFL to hop on the gambling train. I'm Sam Kingma, and these have been your Sports and Entertainment Market Scale News Minutes.
2: All right, thank you for those minutes there, Sam. Coming up next, we're going to take a look at the world of esports, and if you're anything like me, you were way behind the curve on this. I know that there were plenty of warning signs and plenty of people saying, hey, this is going to be the next big thing, and somehow I missed all of it. Now, maybe it's just that I'm not very good at video games. I'm the guy that's always crouching down and jumping up and down in the corner, you know, when I'm playing Halo or whatever game is, is new that all my friends are good at and I'm terrible at. I'm always that guy that respawns and then is immediately destroyed off the face of the planet of whatever game they're playing. That's me. So maybe that's why I'm kind of behind on this whole trend. But I'm always really curious about it because it seems like it's such a big deal and as the world of esports continues to grow towards becoming a billion dollar industry, it's found itself crossing paths more and more often with the music industry. Now our own Scott Sidway, our correspondent, spoke with Jonathan Angers of Engage Esports about not only the growth of the sport in general, but also how and why artists and record labels are taking an interest from the music side. They discuss musicians' interest in live streaming, performances at major eSports events, and why some have even taken up ownership in some eSports teams. It's going to be a really interesting conversation, and I hope to catch up a little bit on the world of eSports. Coming up next on the Market Scale Sports and Entertainment Podcast.
4: Look, eSports, it's still something that surprises a lot of people in terms of where it is, how popular it is. Uh, just where we are compared to where this growing phenomenon was maybe five, ten years ago. Can you just explain to us how much this phenomenon has grown in the last half decade, decade?
1: Yeah. So um, I remember back when. So just a little background on, on myself. Um, I come from collegiate esports. So I was the founding president of esports at Louisiana State um, at their esports uh, uh, student organization. And, um, whenever I had first started college back in 2012, um, and even like senior year of high school, uh, which was around season one of league of legends championship series, the LCS, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the first season of LCS was really small. Like it was pretty much like borderline someone's basement. Like if you go look at it, it was really, really tiny, right? in comparison now, if you, if you look at the numbers and the venues, I mean, in that short time, you know, literally since I've started college, so less than 10 years ago, six years it's been since, six or seven years since that first LCS event, um, I mean, they, they've sold out the bird's nest. They just had their highest viewership in the history of the league uh, with C9 making, it, I think, two uh, semifinals um in worlds which led to i think a peak concurrent max viewer of around 1.2 million on twitch wow i mean it's insane right
4: right and it's it's insane when you just think about the perspective of it because well everything has to start somewhere i mean even things like you know the nfl and nba they all started from you know, just a game in someone's backyard. And you described this as games that started in uh in basements essentially and have grown to having their own stadiums and, like you said, selling out the bird's nest. Financially, how much has this thing grown to where it's become a viable business? And, you know, I've read that the projections are this could be a billion-dollar industry in the next few years. Yeah, I
1: mean, you can – when you start looking at franchises, right, I think that gives a really good perspective of just how much money's in the game, you know when you look at the Overwatch League or the uh, LCS when they franchised um, to buy into a slot for the Overwatch League, which for those not familiar, it's a regionalized uh, franchization of one of Blizzard and Activision's titles, uh, Overwatch. Um, you know, it was a $20 million buy-in for a franchise spot, right? And for the League of like League Legends LCS, it was around $10 million. Wow. And that's a lot of money you know that's
4: that's not chump change and that's all
1: and that's just that's just buying your spot into the league right that's not including what you have to pay player salaries which you know i've heard from 70 to 200 to in some cases over a million dollars in salary
4: wow yeah, that I mean, is insane. Now we're we're talking professional athlete range. Once you start getting to those seven figures,
1: yeah, exactly. So like for example, you know, the, obviously a lot of this is confidential and in in, in in regards to exact numbers, right? But you right. always hear you always hear rumors, um, and it's rumored that like you know some of the players from SKT, which is a, the number one Korean team, like those some of those players were making insane amounts of money, and it's totally believable. They've won two World Championships. Um, and they're they're an incredibly dominant team, right? And, and like to keep that talent, you have to pay for it.
4: Yeah. And and again, it's one of these phenomenons that just you can't really no one would have imagined it. It was just a hobby for people a long time ago. And now this is a viable thing. And you mentioned, you know, a lot of eyeballs and it's becoming, you know, a big a, a big thing for money. It's a big a big financial winner for a lot of people. And and a big part of that is and this has surprised me, as I'm sure it's may have surprised you a little bit too the music industry and how they've kind of become integrated into this i mean you've got Jennifer Lopez Imagine Dragons they have stakes in esports leagues uh there's even esports le- record labels you know working with some of these companies so what have you seen in terms of that integration what's the connection how are these two roads intersecting
1: yeah and you know i think it's something that's always been the case it's just become there's more of a focus on it now right like Whenever I you, whenever you look at people like in uh like Drake for example, or people in the NFL like
4: um, um, I know guys like Antonio Brown. I exactly, think he's very yeah. involved. A couple of Steelers players like play Fortnite and they yeah. get people to follow them, and but now if, you can wear their jerseys.
1: <laughs> exactly, and if you think about like you know people going into the NFL uh, nowadays, like I you know I come from LSU. A lot of the guys who graduated from LSU are now in the NFL, right? all of the, the people who are now going into the, those industries and even the people who were already in the industry prior to, you know, people around my age, I'm 25, going into that, the industry, I mean, they grew up with video games, right? And they do that in their spare time. So now it's just one of those things where it's like, it's just become prevalent that they do that. I don't think they've ever not done it. I just think it's become popular. It, it, it's almost like the, the stigma for gaming, which, you know, it used to be, Looked down upon if you played a lot of games right but nowadays it's it's the cool thing to do
4: well then you've got you mentioned uh, Right and you mentioned drake and then guys like post malone t-pain they've all made twitch You know if you're not familiar with twitch It's the website where a lot of these gamers stream and there's other things that are streamed on twitch too But but guys like drake post malone t-pain they use twitch their advantage and you know drake's a gamer himself i know he's been you know very upfront about that but i mean what are you seeing on the streaming front when it comes to these musicians and the music industry integrating because we know the streaming is a big part of the growth of esports and just the mainstream popularity of video games because anybody can just log into their computer and watch somebody you know provide content yeah how how is it the music industry taking advantage of that outlet
1: yeah i think i mean i think it's just a smart marketing play from their point of view, right? Like that's where the younger generation is, right? Like when you look at the kids who play Fortnite, the, the demographic is very much skewed to, you know, 18 and younger. Um, at least like in my experience, looking, like almost everyone that I know some some watch Fortnite, but like the vast majority, the reason the numbers are so high is because a lot of the new audience that's coming to the to the platform is that younger audience. So what you end up having is a very strong, um, I would say like, maybe even like sub teenager, like sub teen, like kids through. Mid 30s.
4: That's fascinating. I I didn't even thought about that. And so that's obviously I I think that kind of shines a light of like why the music industry would be interested in esports because it's a lot of eyeballs, right? You know, there's millions and people of that are logging on, watching these streamers who use music. I mean, a lot of streamers put music behind their streams, and they like we talked about some of the record labels are working with esports companies to have like exclusive deals. What's in it for? the esports industry, since I know that's where you are with Engage. You know, wh- what's the benefit for you guys partnering with some of these music labels and, and, and working with these companies and, and high-profile artists?
1: I, th- I personally think, you know, when you look at, you know, the Ninja Drake scenario, right, which is probably the most obvious one.
4: And nin- Ninja being the most popular Fortnite streamer right now. Yeah, I mean, I would probably thousands even argue, thousands of views.
1: I would argue at one point, You know, he's kind of plateaued a little bit. He's still doing fantastic and he you know, but like that peak he had peaked so high like he had over 200,000 subs, which means that 200,000 people opted to pay him at least $5 a month. Wow. You know, like when you when you do the quick math, math
4: that's a million bucks right there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's obviously a lot of money. There,
1: there, there's a ratio of like some of that going to, to Twitch and some of that going to him. Right. So I think it's like 75, 25 or 60, 40. But
4: you hear that kids tell your parents you can make money doing this.
1: Yeah. And, you know, but in the in the sense of like that particular partnership, right, it helps both parties. It made a huge wave because Drake had never really done anything like that. So like his audience came on board. Ninja was incredibly popular at the time like he w- he was at his peak or approaching his peak so for both parties you know it was just a an i think an opportunity for them to both raise the you know their stock value as a brand
4: so it's again it's it's just looking forward essentially for the music industry because you know we've heard this you know this this narrative repeated for a long time that the record labels are dead the music industry is dying because of things like Spotify and uh, you know, the, the streaming websites, but they're looking at this as a way to stay alive and keep profiting.
1: Yeah. And I think it's just, you know, maintaining legacy, you know, you know, like making sure that your brand survives, you know, this, this next generation of, um, you know, media, because people, I, I imagine a world in five, 10 years where you're not necessarily beholden to a cable company anymore right? right like most i mean i could i have not owned cable personally since i started college you know uh, i've gra- i've graduated you're now, not alone yeah exactly but that the you know that's just going to become more and more and more prevalent right people are going to listen to the radio less they're going to listen to spotify they're going to watch tv less they're going to watch youtube and twitch more right and when that happens if you're not on those platforms in a meaningful way then that could like, even if you've been successful up until that point, it doesn't mean that like you're untouchable, right? And I think, and I think it's just a precautionary measure by, by those artists. Well, and I'm sure they enjoy it too, you know, they, they like to be involved in that. So I, while I'm sure it's like fueled out of um, some form of uh, longevity in mind, I can't imagine it's strictly off of that. I mean, they, they just the platforms are really fun and they're super engaging. And I mean, to some of like to some people, that's really valuable, you know.
4: Right. Well, video games naturally are just fun. It's like an artist performing at the Super Bowl. Right. They go because of everybody's watching and everyone's having a good time because it's the freaking Super Bowl. Right. (laughs) Um, And speaking of, of that, you know, we talk about we've been talking about it being online and the streaming and the musicians wanting to be involved in. In that element of it, but there's still got to be live performances at some point. And with a lot of these esports leagues, and I know you're part of this in, in Arlington, the stadium just Arlington, Texas, the stadium just opened up there, an esports stadium. How about live performances? Are, are record labels and music, musicians and are they wor- trying to get involved at that level too, or are they really focusing mostly just on the the online element of it?
1: Uh, I think they're definitely looking forward to doing stuff like that. I mean, it's already been done. Uh, This year, there's a good example. um, DJ Khaled performed at the Overwatch League finals at the Barclays Center. You know what I mean? Um, And that was a sold-out crowd. So, you know, things like that are just going to keep happening. Deadmau5 plays often at esports events. Um, I I just think that's just going to become – like it's pop culture at the end of the day, right? It doesn't matter that it's video games. It, it is, it is mainstream culture at this point. And those artists like, performing uh, to those demographics. So I can't imagine that it's going to, I think it's just going to get more prevalent, not less. Yeah. And that's,
4: and that's where we'll, we'll end you end this with uh, this last question here. You know, looking forward, you, you said it's going to become more and more prevalent. And I mean, we're just scratching the surface. It seems like with esports right now, I mean, it's boomed a lot, but there's obviously a lot of potential for growth. One of your colleagues uh, who I spoke to in Arlington uh, when the stadium uh, went up a little while ago, said it could be on par with the Texas Rangers and the Dallas Cowboys and things like that. And that's an eye-opening headline because you're like, wow, that's, uh, that's quite an ambitious well, statement.
1: Think, yeah. I mean, look at, look at sports like hockey, right? Like I, I personally enjoy hockey and baseball, right? Baseball is great. I love watching both of those. But if you look at the numbers, the younger demographics don't tend to go to those events as much as they would go to literally anything else. And that's 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 worrisome, right? Like if you're if you're a baseball, like if you're a baseball league or franchise, right? Maybe you're not worried in the short term, but long term, if, say, for example, when I'm 50, 60 years old, right? I mean, I can't even I can't fathom where technology will be, but I know that it's going to be better than what it is right now. Right. And people are like people now grow up with Computers and iPads and phones and they're immediately brought into that world right where there's still that that gradient that exists between people who grew up without it and people who grew up with it. Ultimately, it's become a a blanket term for the gaming community right like people would consider like Twitch streaming to be like esports related even though like that's not necessarily true right it it, right. it it really is just a new form of media the the space is still relatively young it's becoming increasingly you know obviously it's growing and it's becoming less young with the time um so people are trying to get in early because it is already getting harder and harder to get in you know what i mean 10 years yeah. from now if you're like me as a collegiate leader personally, right? Like I've had the opportunity to talk to people I never thought I would have ever been able to talk to, but to talk to those, like, if I was starting off now and I wanted to try to get a conversation with those same people, I don't think it would have been, I don't think it, I don't think it would be possible. You know what I mean? Right. And that's just going to keep happening. And that's good because that means the industry is growing. Um, but that's why these people I think are getting in because 10 years from now, it's going to be almost impossible to get in unless you, you know, similar to how, you know, if you want to have a meeting with someone from like, like one of the owners for the Texas Rangers, right? Like, good luck.
4: Right. Yeah. That's that you've got to, you've got to be pretty high up on, on the A list to make that meeting happen.
1: Exactly. And I think, you know, that's starting to happen in esports. It already kind of does happen, but now like it's, it's ex like it, it is exponentially happening faster. Um. And I think that's why the investment's happening now. You know, th- they know that it's short-term, probably not super profitable, but long-term, like you're building these brands that to kids mean everything. And that's, you know, those are the adults of tomorrow.
2: Thank you to our correspondent Scott Sidway and to Jonathan Angers from Engage Esports for that interview. I certainly feel more informed on the world of eSports now, and maybe I can uh, communicate with the kids these days a little bit better than I did before I heard that interview. So thank you to those two guys. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for on this week's episode of the Market Scale Sports and Entertainment Podcast. Thank you so much for listening for this episode. If you enjoyed this content, remember that we have more of it over at marketscale.com, so head that direction. We have a bunch of podcasts, a ton of written content for you to enjoy there. So uh, feel free to go peruse. Find out what you like, and uh, be sure to share it with your friends, family, and colleagues as well. We would certainly appreciate that very much if you enjoy the content. Uh, Please feel free to share it around to as many people as you like. I've been your host, Tyler Kern. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sports and Entertainment Podcast, but it's goodbye until then.